Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy and our series on Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm Tim Moore, the Senior Evangelist of Lamb and Lion Ministries. Over the past two weeks, we've been in Genesis. This book of beginnings lays a critical foundation for our understanding of the world and God's plan for mankind. We began in Genesis 1 and 2 and realized that God's eyewitness testimony describes His act of creation. Jesus also bore testimony to creation and revealed Himself as the Creator who fulfilled the will of God the Father. Genesis 3 and 4 explains how man's sin separated him from God and brought down a curse. Scripture says that the whole creation groans to be restored to the perfection God intended. Even in the midst of the fall, God was revealing His plan to send a Messiah, a Savior who would deliver men and women from their sins and restore them to a right relationship with Him. That restoration is freely offered to all. The Bible says that everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. But it also explains that without Christ, the wrath of God abides on us. Today we will move forward into Genesis 5-11, through exploring God's outpouring of wrath on the world known as the Flood, and touch on the limits of His patience with the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll also learn that even as His wrath rained down from heaven, God remembered mercy. Well, I thought long and hard about who to invite on this episode of Christ in Prophecy. How many people can you just call and say, hey, I think you're an expert on wrath. But I did know one man who for 41 years has unshamedly proclaimed that people should flee from the wrath to come. So today we once again have Dr. Dave Reagan here with us on Christ in Prophecy. And Dave, I'm certainly delighted that you've joined us again. Well, thank you. It's a joy to be with you. Joy to be here talking about wrath of all things. Well, <laughs> yeah, I've talked about wrath for a long time, and I, I can assure you it's the most unpopular topic in all of Christianity. No one wants to hear about it. Well, that's why we need to address it, because many folks don't hear about it in other settings, but it is important to understand God's wrath and understand why we can flee to the uh, arms well, of our living Savior. Well, it's very important, and the sad thing is you go to church all your life and never hear a sermon on wrath. Well, I know that for sure. You know, you may wonder why we're outside, and as Dave and I have talked, we're at a very unusual location. As a matter of fact, we're at the site of an old POW camp from World War II just northeast of Dallas in Princeton, Texas. As a matter of fact, in World War II, German prisoners of war were interred here. And so over 75 years ago, this was not a construction site as you might hear today. Instead, it was a place where German soldiers were transported back to the United States and interred deep within the American heartland. Can you imagine what they thought when they arrived in Princeton, well, Texas? Well, I'm sure that uh, before very long they thought they had died and gone to hell. Because you can imagine out here in, in central Texas with the temperature 102, 103 degrees in the summertime, and these guys being taken out and working in the cotton fields. Oh. Man, that was bad. <laughs> it was very bad. Yeah, no air conditioning in the early 1940s. No, they. it was not like a prison today where you have a TV and air conditioning and workout rooms and all no. Not at all. Not at all. Well, I chose to come here, Dave, because 
Thinking about being interred as a POW offers a very powerful analogy to the prison we are trapped in yes. when we're enslaved in our sins. There's a war raging about us, but we're helpless and bound in our own sins. That's right. Uh, the Bible teaches very clearly in many places, both New Testament and Old, that we are born with a sin nature. And we are entrapped in that sin nature unless we give our lives, our hearts, to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And most people are not aware of that, but that's the situation. You have people, you know, making excuses for their sins by saying, well, I was just born that way. Well, we're all born with a sin nature. It manifests itself in different ways. For one person it may be uh, thievery, for another person lying, for another person adultery, whatever. But it manifests itself. And humanists teach that where man is basically good, and that because he's basically good we can just rely upon reason. They can't do it. Man is basically evil. He certainly is. I remember in the 1970s, as a matter of fact, there was a black comedian named Flip Wilson, and he had a character named Imogene, and her <laughs> byline was, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. <laughs> and so that's a lot of people's excuse even today. Well, it's not my fault. The devil made me do it, or it's somebody else's fault. I'm a good person, and we know better than that. Well, we do, and uh, what people need to face up to is a statement in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. It ends this book, Solomon says, the conclusion of everything he wrote, the conclusion, when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it be good or evil. Wow. That really does put everything in perspective because some people think they will escape from any kind of judgment. You know, in World War II, just to use this analogy again, most POWs, German POWs or American, would have anticipated that at some point that war would end and their lives would return to normal. They'd be able to go back yes. to their home country. A very few of the Nazi war criminals would have anticipated that they would probably be prosecuted, and they were in post-war trials. Uh, for instance, the Nuremberg trials as war criminals. But many of them thought, well, I'll just go back to my normal life. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> no, it didn't happen for, for me. Those uh, leaders were all held to accountability. They all had a judgment. And uh, the interesting thing is that they all stood up and said, well, uh, we were just following orders. And we took the position there is a higher law. That's the position the United States government took. There is a higher law, and that higher law you cannot violate. And if you're given an order to violate that higher law, you are responsible to that higher law. And with something that we need to remind ourselves of in this nation today, because we are slaughtering babies in the womb, we are uh, endorsing all kinds of immorality, yes. and it violates this higher law, and yet we're saying, oh, well, it's okay. Yeah, and some, unfortunately our government sometimes today doesn't even recognize that higher law. Yes, that's true. And declares that whatever they dictate or mandate uh, trumps all other considerations. Well, Jerry N uh, Nadler, is that his name? Yes, sir. Uh, in the Congress recently said, we're not interested in what any God has to say. Well, that's a sign of the times for our nation, tragically. You know, here's another reality. Even today, men who served as Nazi concentration camp guards are still being called out. They're being discovered, some of them in the United States and elsewhere, and prosecuted. And we've seen men in their mid-90s hauled into court to face justice for something they did as teenagers. And some people mistakenly think that if elderly Nazis are not held to account very, very soon, then they will pass into That's eternity yeah. and avoid justice altogether. Oh, no. <laughs> but Christians know better. We know what awaits every person 
when this life is over. What awaits us all, Dave? Well, I, you know, life has no meaning if there's not going to be a judgment. I mean, th th that gives life meaning. The fact that we're going to face a judgment of what we did, what we thought, what we, the words we spoke, the actions that we took, that gives life meaning. And people who say, well, you know, it's, uh, no, there won't be any judgment, they're saying life has no meaning. So you're saying that it's not just terrifically evil men like Adolf Hitler or Pol Pot or Joseph Stalin who will experience the, the judgment and therefore the wrath of God? No. Uh, one of the greatest, I guess, uh, illusions that exists in the world today, both on the part of many Christians as well as non-Christians, is that God is a cosmic teddy bear. That He's big, soft, warm, furry, and that when you stand before Him He's going to say, well, I know you didn't do very well, but uh, you did better than the fellow down the street, and I grade on the curve, and therefore I'm just going to wink at your sin, and you come on into my kingdom and you be in heaven. Well, that God does not exist. That's no. a God that Satan wants us to believe in, but it does not exist. The God of this universe, the Creator of this universe, is a God of holiness, and He has to deal with sin. If He didn't deal with sin, He's not a good God. No, he's certainly not. And he deals with sin in only one of two ways. That's right. Either wrath or grace. That's right. And so we uh, we don't have to fear the wrath of God because we've experienced the grace of God. Thanks be to him. You know, in that Jesus regard, Christ. everybody knows John 3:16 that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. But very few know John 3:36 yes. which comes from a sermon of John the Baptist in which he says every person on the face of this earth is under either the wrath of God or the grace of God. It's a horrible thing to be living under the wrath of God. It's a glorious thing to be living under the grace of God. And the only way you can transfer from the wrath to the grace is to put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and amen Savior. Amen and amen. You know, one of the most famous sermons ever preached in America was sinners in the hands of an angry <laughs> God. And what the, uh, the preacher was talking about was if you fall into the hands of God and experience His wrath. There is nothing more horrific. We are turning to, obviously this week, Genesis chapter 5 through 11 to talk about the wrath of God. And our key verse, so to speak, is from Genesis 6 verses 5 and 6 when it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And yet even in that moment of judgment, the Lord deciding that he is regretful that there are even men who have perpetrated evil and multiplied it upon the face of the earth. If you skip down just a few verses, verse 8, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So even in wrath, there was mercy. That's right. God always shows mercy in wrath. In fact, the scriptures indicate that God never pours out His wrath without warning. He warns through prophetic voices. He warns through remedial judgments because He does not wish that any should perish, but all be brought to repentance. Uh, Noah preached 120 years. Yes, and people does. scoffed and laughed and made fun of him. And uh, I think some of them were still laughing when they couldn't swim anymore. <laughs> I think so too. And the other example from this very passage is Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord sent angels to check and see whether there would be anybody who would turn. And of course, He allowed Lot to escape the wrath that fell on those two cities. Yes, yes. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, that the coming of the Son of Man 
will be just like the days of Noah. So as we think back to this passage when there was wickedness on the earth, how can we see that being manifested? Well, when you today? look at Genesis 6 in detail, you'll see that uh, the times were characterized by two fundamental things. One, it was a time of gross immorality, and number two, a time of violence, immorality and violence. And so when Matthew says that Jesus is going to return to this earth at a time when it's like the days of Noah, what he's talking about is that in end times, society is going to disintegrate, not only in this nation, but all over the world. And we're going to see increasing immorality and violence. And that's exactly what's going on in this nation as well as around the world. Increasing immorality and violence. And that's the reason that uh, a person like Adrian Rogers, who has gone on to be with the Lord, a former pastor from uh, Memphis, I believe yes, it was, he made the comment that the world is growing gloriously dark. And the average person, even the average Christian, doesn't understand what that means. Explain what it means. Well, it means that even as we see the world falling apart, all the pieces, as J.M. Markell says, yeah. are falling in place. And so, we do not celebrate the, the chaos yeah. and the disorder, the wickedness, but we realize that this is a fulfillment of God's prophetic That's word, right. and, and it points to the soon coming of Jesus Christ, the soon rapture of the church. And so, in that we can rejoice and see a glorious finale. Amen. Well, you know, uh, Tim, uh, one thing that I think we definitely need to talk about is the fact that most Christians, I believe, uh, have come to the conclusion that the Old Testament God is different from the New Testament God. I hear it all the time. The Old Testament God is a God of wrath. The New Testament God is a God of grace and love. Jesus would not hurt a fly. Uh, God's wrath doesn't exist any longer. I hear this over, even from pastors, I yes. hear it over and over and over that the wrath of God is Old Testament. And, and that violates one of the fundamental teachings of the Bible it that God does. is immutable. He never changes, never changes. It says in the book of Malachi that God God never changes. It says in Hebrews that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Well, as a matter of fact, we very clearly believe that when God appeared to Abraham on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah, of course there were three visitors. Abraham recognized that one of them was worthy of worship, and so that was a pre-incarnate Christ. Right. Uh, I, do, I believe absolutely Jesus Christ was the third person there with Abraham as he sat and ate and told Abraham what he was about to do relative to Sodom and Gomorrah. So Jesus, who is our Messiah, was the one who delivered the warning to Sodom and Gomorrah through Abraham and really is not just our Savior, but He is the one who is coming back to exact justice upon the whole world. I think uh, the prophet Nahum has one of the most balanced views of God. In Nahum chapter 1 and verse uh, 7 he says, The Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who take refuge in Him. Now that, that's the God that everybody talks about. Yes. But look at this, verse 1, verse 2, A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries. He reserves wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Amen. Amen. And really, that's not just the horrific Nazi war criminals or others. Yeah. That's every one of us. All of us are guilty. We all fall short of the glory of God. And that's why the wrath of God, as right. John 3.36, abides on anyone who has not already embraced the Son. The message of Noah 
And the message of Sodom and Gomorrah as well is that even as God pours out wrath, there is provision for those yes. in whom He has credited with righteousness. And again, Noah was not perfect. I could do a whole sermon on Noah <laughs> and his shortcomings, but God credited him with righteousness. Lot was not perfect either. Lot was not perfect either. None of us are. But because the Lord credited him with righteousness, those two individuals, just like us, escape God's wrath, and that's demonstrated right there and in the, the opening chapters of Genesis. the same way to escape it today is through faith. They did it through faith. We can do it through faith by putting that faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, God has given us provision for escaping His wrath. It's called the rapture of the church. Yes, it is. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, We are waiting for God, for Jesus to come back, who will deliver us from the wrath that is to come. Oh, amen. Revelation 3.10 says, We are going to be delivered. Well, one of my favorite verses from Habakkuk is chapter 3, verse 12, when it says, and Habakkuk's praying, he's concerned about all that's been revealed to him that's going to befall his nation. And he says to the Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And of course, we're talking about the God who is all merciful, right. but who is all just. And so we call Christ the Lamb who came suffering for our sins and the Lion who is coming back, the Lion of Judah, to exact justice upon the earth. But our loving God, who is going to exact His wrath on those who have rejected Christ, has already provided a way of deliverance, and that is Jesus Christ. So He has remembered mercy from the foundations of the earth. Well, people say that uh, the, the promise of Jesus to come back was made 2,000 years ago, and it's been 2,000 years. He evidently is not returning. And Peter addressed that in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, for all to come to repentance. The only reason Jesus hasn't returned is God wants more people saved. That is a gracious and loving God. But, but the signs of the times have come together as never before, converged, and indicate that we are living right on the threshold of the tribulation. Amen. You know, I always say, I'm glad that I don't determine the day and time of Jesus coming for the <laughs> right. church because. Aren't you glad that He gave time for you to accept Him? Absolutely. I'm certainly glad that the Lord gave time for me to accept Christ as my Savior. And I pray that He has given enough time for all of you watching today to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. But there will come a time when it will be too late. Do not wait another day. Today is the day perhaps of your decision. You're not even promised another day. So Dave, our message is not one of doom and gloom. It's one of hope. Hope right. found only in Jesus Christ. And that is our emphasis point even as we close. Yeah. What else would you have to say? I would say the time to get serious about the Lord is now. Amen. Because we're living on board time. Folks, escape the POW camp or the prisoner camp of your own sin and flee into the loving arms of our Savior. For Lamb and Lime Ministries, I'm certainly glad that we had Dr. Dave Reagan. Dave, when we have another prickly <laughs> prophetic topic, we'll have you back okay. much more often. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. Godspeed. As Dave said, most Christians today have been lulled into thinking that God is an all-loving and merciful God who would never hurt a fly. They embrace Him as a harmless cosmic Santa Claus who doles out blessings but isn't too concerned with mankind's ongoing sinfulness. Whenever a Bible-believing Christian points to God's immutable attributes, the fact that He never changes and that He cannot countenance sin, the unbelieving world scoffs at the idea that God would exact justice. Some of them are so brash as to criticize Him for allowing sin to exist and then condemn Him for declaring that He will judge people for their sins. Satan has certainly done a wonderful job of confusing the whole issue 
leaving Christians complacent and unbelievers scornful. Scripture is clear that God will not tolerate sin forever. There will be a reckoning for every individual when they will be judged before the throne of God. Those whose sins are covered by the blood of Christ will never suffer. As Paul said, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we'll discuss in our episode on Exodus, the wrath of God will essentially pass over them because it has already been inflicted on Jesus. John the Baptist said, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. How do you obey the Son in this context? By believing that He is the way, the truth, and the life. By accepting Him as Savior and worshiping Him as Lord. Those who do not heed God's offer of salvation and never trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins will stand accountable for every shortcoming, whether little white lies or horrific mass murder. Without the redeeming blood of Christ, they will be judged for each and every sin. And lest anyone think they have avoided sin to the point that they might just escape God's judgment, the Bible is clear. There is no one who is blameless before God. Even our supposedly righteous deeds are as filthy rags in light of His holiness. Scripture teaches that we are not sinners because we sin. We all sin because we are all sinners. As I alluded in our interview today, the most famous sermon ever preached in America is probably Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. His message reflected the dire warning offered by the writer of Hebrews when he wrote, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Delivered in a soft, monotone manner in 1741 in Northampton, Massachusetts, Edwards pierced his listeners' hearts and convicted many of them to repent. The sermon is considered a key catalyst that launched the First Great Awakening, a spiritual revival that swept colonial America. Edwards pointed to God's infinite mercy and grace that even allows us to confess our sins and receive His forgiveness. He said that our own efforts to avoid the bottomless gulf of hell offer as much hope for success as a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Edwards shocked his listeners by telling them, There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. That kind of preaching reminds me of Peter Marshall, who advised his listeners to choose which God they would follow. He closed his sermon by telling those who are determined to reject the true and living God to instead follow a false God of their choosing and go to hell. Many Christians hold out hope that God's Holy Spirit will stoke another major revival in the end times. And yet, the kind of preaching that stirs hearts and shakes the scales from people's eyes is seldom heard from America's pulpits. Instead, God is kept tucked away in a box and called upon to dole out blessings of health and prosperity and favor without regard to obedience or even love for His only begotten Son. Oh, that fire would fall from heaven, again in the form of clear messages about the horrific fate that awaits all who reject God's offer of salvation. But instead of warning men and women to flee from the wrath to come, messages about seeker sensitivity or living your best life now tickle ears and comfort people along the road to hell. As we approach the season of Thanksgiving in the United States, it merits remembering that President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving for the last Thursday in November. Even in the midst of war, Lincoln wisely said that we should count our blessings, for they are gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. Fulfilling Habakkuk's prayer to the same effect, God not only remembered mercy, he ensured a path to salvation. He sent Jesus Christ to sever the wrath each of us deserves. Through Him, 
and only through Him we are redeemed and forgiven. Time is short. Jesus is coming soon. You are not promised another day, not another hour. Some watching this program may stand before Him before the sun rises and sets again. Do not delay. In the words of Psalm 2.12, do homage to the sun that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. How blessed indeed. Nathan, I'm sure glad to have you back in the ministry and here to join me to close out this episode of Christ in Prophecy. I'm sure glad to be here, Tim. You know, folks, Nathan, his family, and his associate Stephen recently recovered from a bout with COVID. So we certainly don't take for granted the Lord's answer to our prayers and his restoration of their health. Speaking of taking things for granted, though, have you noticed that people often readily accept God's blessing on mankind, but then take for granted his sense of justice? They'll ignore the passages Dr. Reagan and I cited today that refer to the wrath of God that hangs over the world and every individual who continues to reject his offer of salvation. That truly is sad. I just cannot imagine why people disregard the clear teaching of Scripture that God is both loving and just. As John the Baptist said, the wrath of God abides on every person who does not obey, meaning does not put their faith in the Son. To say that it abides means that God's wrath is the default situation people who have not accepted Jesus as their Savior are living under. God's wrath has always been against them and will continue to hang over them until they inevitably face the just judge at the great white throne judgment. You know, I tell my children, there is little I fear in this life. I don't particularly like snakes or hairy spiders or the high crime areas in most big cities, but even if someone should threaten or take my life, they cannot separate me from the love of God. As the hymn goes, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. When I die, I don't know if I'll fall at Jesus' feet, throw my arms around him, or stand awestruck and mute, but I do not fear meeting my Lord. Nor do I, Tim. What a blessed assurance from our wonderful Savior, which reminds me of another hymn, Blessed Assurance. All right, very good. You know, I'll also uh, cite Charles Wesley, who in 1740 wrote, Guilty I stand before thy face. On me I feel thy wrath abide. Tis just the sentence should take place. Tis just, but oh, thy son hath died. The concept of wrath is so out of fashion that most churches refuse to even mention it at all. For example, one major denomination would not allow Keith and Kristen Getty's wonderful song, In Christ Alone, to be included in their hymnal unless they changed the lyric that read, Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Thankfully, the Gettys stayed true to Scripture and refused to change the truth their song proclaims. So in summary, our focus today was on Genesis 5-11, through 11, where God's wrath was poured out upon the sin-filled world in a global flood. It was demonstrated again in Genesis 18-19, through 19, when God's righteous anger was provoked against Sodom and Gomorrah for their exceedingly grave sin. Those episodes are recorded in Scripture to convey the seriousness of our sin. When God passed by and declared His name to Moses, God emphasized His compassion and grace, His loving kindness and willingness to forgive. But He also said, yet He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. The abject terror of that everlasting punishment should shock people to their senses. And we pray that holy terror shocks each of you who has yet to grab hold of Jesus' lifeline of salvation and lead you to be saved. 
Now, for those of you who are keeping track of key verses, we've landed on Genesis 6, 5 through 6 and 8. We'll be posting an explanation of our choice along with some other verses we think are very important in this episode on our website at ChristinProphecy.org, located just underneath this video. And as for timing, as young earth advocates, we believe Noah and the global flood occurred about 4,400 years ago. If you're looking for a wonderful book focusing on the wrath of God as revealed in the book of Revelation, then get your copy of Dr. David Reagan's Wrath and Glory. For a donation of $20 or more, including shipping, we'll be glad to send you this wonderful resource. We believe it will leave you praising our Savior for delivering you from the wrath to come, as well as motivated to warn others to flee into His loving arms. I know our viewers will be blessed by Dr. Reagan's third edition of Wrath and Glory. Next week, we will conclude our time in Genesis by considering God's chosen people. We'll learn that His promises made to Abraham and his descendants are still in effect today. Read ahead in Genesis 12 through 50 and see what key verses jump out at you. Until next week, this is Tim Moore and Nathan Jones saying, Look up, be watchful, for the Lord, strong and mighty, the King of glory, is drawing near. Yeah.